0: Bible says two things about who you are in Christ that seem to contradict each other, but do they?
1: Welcome to a brand new episode of the Issues of Life podcast, and we are continuing our series on identity. We've been talking about how important it is To find answers to the questions that everyone's asking about who they are, what their purpose is, and where they belong. And we discovered that, obviously, the best place to find those answers is going to be in the Word of God. And we've seen some very simple, yet profound, and revolutionary statements. Like in Romans chapter 6, where we found out that we are dead to sin and alive to God. Meaning we no longer have to sin, but often we still choose to because we're still battling with that sin nature. We also found out in Romans 6 that we are slaves of righteousness and slaves of Christ, one of the favorite titles of authors of Scripture, but it has some really important implications for for our standing with Christ and how we relate to Him and how we're loyal to Him and submit to Him and are dependent upon Him. And we're going to continue the conversation today with another important uh,
0: statement from the Word of God that we find over and over again about who we are in Christ, Today we're going to talk about a trait of your identity that the Bible says is true about you. One that I think we celebrate, one that we, we are glad that we have this as part of our identity. And that's that the Bible says we are children of God. We are the sons and daughters of God. Now that sounds like a contradiction, right out. Because last week we talked about being the slaves of Christ. But it's possible, it is. It's possible to be a slave of Christ and the Son of God at the same time. And that's what we want to talk about today. So let's first start
1: by talking about just the plain and simple fact of being children of God and how the Bible teaches us that is true. I know there's some statements that probably come to your mind right away. In fact, the first statement that I thought of comes from the Gospel of John chapter 1 in verse 12, where it says, but as many as received him, to them gave he the power or the right, the authority, is literally what that word means, to become the sons of God, even to them that believe On his name. So there we find it, plain and simple. Those who put their faith in Christ for salvation are given the right of being called, of becoming the children of God. It says they're sons of God, and some people, you know, uh, trip over that, but the idea of being sons of God does encompass the idea that we are all children of God, sons and daughters of God, but there is some significance to the idea of being a son because. In that culture, it would have been the eldest son who would have received the inheritance and all the benefits of being a child. And so that's why it's kept that way. We are the sons of God, meaning we have that exalted position, which we don't deserve. And by believing on him, we're given that, that right. And what a blessing that it is. So that's probably one of the clearest statements that we are indeed the children of God. But it gets developed much more uh, as we get into the New Testament letters, Paul writes about it probably more than anyone else. In fact, this idea of us being adopted as God's children uh, is something that Paul writes about almost exclusively. And so we're going to go back to Romans. Romans is, if you haven't caught on yet, <laughs> it's really important when it comes to our understanding of our identity in Christ. But we move over a couple chapters to chapter 8, which, which is just full of incredible Encouragements about our position in Christ. But here's the verses I want us to point out Uh, Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 12. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh, for if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify or put to death the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And that would be literally like us today saying, you know, Daddy. It's a term of endearment, a close and intimate name that you would call your Father. We can, we can approach God that way. We can talk to God that way. The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children than heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together." So that gives us a little more information about being children of God. We've been adopted into the family of God with all the rights and privileges of a natural born child. Again, part of the essence of the gospel being placed in Christ, meaning we we have his standing, we have his identity. And so all the blessings that are his are passed on to us and only because of our relationship with him, not because of anything that we've done, none of our own merits, none of our own deeds. We are adopted unworthily into that family and accepted in the beloved, accepted as part of that family. And we get the inheritance. We get the blessings. We get all the privileges. Um, I think it's also important that it says the spirit is what bears witness. So how we know for sure that we're children of God, is that the Holy Spirit of God lives within us, assures our hearts that we are God's children. And that's the, that's the seal of our um, salvation, how we can know for sure, and that's an important part of that passage as well.
0: That's what Ephesians says, it says that we have the spirit of promise. And, and when you were talking about us having that inheritance, that's why it often says the sons of God, because if you think about first Peter. I believe it's 1 Peter, where he says that we have all things that pertain to life and godliness in Christ. 2 Peter. Yeah. Second yeah. Peter. There we go. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yes. So we, because of our position in Christ, we get all of those blessings. And again, it's, it's only because of him uh, and not because of anything that we've done. Uh, We go back to John, though, for this last passage. So we looked at the Gospel of John. Now we look at the first epistle, the first letter that John wrote. And he tells us again about this being God's children. He says, Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is, and every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself even as he is pure. Well, there's so much in those verses that I think we could comment on, but trying to stay on track with our thoughts for today, let me just say this. John points out what a privilege it is, what a manifestation of God's love it is that we could be called, considered um, children of God. And so we should live every day mindful of that truth. We don't deserve it but we've been adopted, and that's God just showering his love on us, just showing us his mercy and grace. It also means that because, as he points out, we're in the family of God, we're different from the rest of the world. We have distinctive traits of our family now that we didn't have before, and that distinguishes us from, from everyone else, and it's, it should be evident to the world that we belong to this very specific family, the family of God. And it also has implications for the future. We know that right now we are the sons of God. What we don't know is exactly what form we'll take in the future. That's what John's saying. We don't know exactly what our bodies will be like in eternity, but we know one thing for sure. When we see Christ, we'll be like him because we're going to see him as he is, and we will be transformed once and for all. So there's just a crash course on kind of what the New Testament teaches about being the sons of God, how you can become a son of God, a child of God, how you can know you're a child of God, and what it means for your life both now and in the future.
0: So you being the son of God means that you are part of God's family. So you are, in in essence, you could think about as us being related to God. Uh, So we now have these new character traits. We have these new um, visible changes that show the world, hey, we're different. We're part of God's family. But that also comes along with all those blessings, the inheritance that we talked about. Uh, That's why the Bible says we are the sons of God. How does that work with what we talked about last week, being the slaves of Christ? Not everything in the metaphor is going to make sense. Not everything is going to work perfectly. Um, and, And that's how these two, I think, work together. We mentioned and we showed verses last week of where the Bible says we are the servants of God. We are the servants of righteousness or unrighteousness. We have that choice, that free will. And then how a lot of authors use that term, a servant of Jesus Christ, in their bios at the beginning of their Mm -hmm. letters. The Bible also says other things about us being servants. Uh, It actually seems to negate that that name for us. And, uh, And one passage you can look at is John 15, 15. It says this, "...Henceforth I call you not servants." For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father I have made known unto you. In Galatians chapter 4 verse 7 it says, Wherefore thou art no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. And I think that verse, more so even than than the passage in John, really seems like like a contradiction. In one verse he says, you're not a servant, you are a son. So how do these work together? Yeah. Again, at
1: first glance, it seems like, oh, no, we've, we do have a problem on our hands because how can, how can one be true and the other still be true at the same time? Well, first of all, we approach the scriptures believing that they are without error. And so any contradictions that we seem to happen upon have to be from a lack of our own understanding. They can almost always very easily be resolved by just looking further at the context and comparing scripture with scripture. And that is the case here. As you already pointed out, what we said last week, not every part of the metaphor carries over. There are some limitations on that metaphor because of our new relationship with Christ as his child. So some of those things get canceled out. And that is kind of what these passages are pointing to. There are parts of your relationship with Christ and with the Lord, with God, that don't have the same, you know, kind of relationship as you would have as a slave in normal terms, but some things that still carry over. So some of the things in particular that are being pointed out here, like in John chapter 15, Christ is teaching his disciples in in what we call the upper room discourse. It's a really long set of teachings uh, that he gave on the last night before he was arrested. And he's telling them, listen, I'm not treating you like slaves. I'm treating you as friends because I'm letting you in on what the master is doing. And most servants don't get that behind the scenes look. So simply what's happening is that's one part of slavery that hasn't been carried over in the metaphor. The idea that we get to have an intimate relationship with the master and know what he's trying to accomplish and be a part of what he's trying to accomplish more than just doing his bidding without any knowledge of what's going on. Yeah. The passage, if you look, it gives us further proof that that we're still supposed to consider ourselves servants because at the beginning of that whole discourse, Christ himself got down on the floor and washed the feet of his disciples and said the best way that they could be great was to do the same thing and to serve, to be the slaves of one another. So there's no negation of that truth by this statement. In fact, he even says, in this same passage, you do well, or you say the right thing when you call me master. So he's not saying there's nothing about your relationship that has the traits of servanthood, but there are certain things that are gone. Then we get to Galatians 4, and we find that he says we're no more slaves, but are children, and as children, we are Heirs. so in this case he's talking about another specific part of our uh, of our relationship with the Lord that is different from a, a slave and master relationship but it does not again it does not negate the whole concept because he's going to go on in the next chapter to say we we ought to enslave ourselves to one another and we ought to enslave ourselves to to the Lord in the sense that we follow the leading of the Holy Spirit but we in addition to and above and beyond what a slave could consider his relationship with his master, we have the intimacy of a child um, and the, the insight of a child and the inheritance. That's the real point in Galatians is the inheritance. A slave doesn't get an inheritance right? Yeah. but a child does. So it doesn't do away with the other. It complements the other in a real way and that is the, that is the
0: simple solution. I think that A great picture you could look to would be um, the story of the prodigal son. Um, If we were to extrapolate and look at what happened after the son came home, uh, if if you don't know the story, there are two sons to this rich man. And the older son stays with the father. The youngest son takes his inheritance. He leaves. He spends it all, ruins his life. And he comes back telling his father, Father, I am no longer worthy to be your son. Let me just be a servant. Just be a servant in your house so that he has a roof over his head and he has food on his plate. Um, but the father opens up his arms and he gives him a robe and puts a ring on his finger and, and throws a feast because his lost son has now come home. His lost son has been found. So if you were to carry that over a little bit further in a story, if you were to think about what happened after that feast, that son, I think, his life has completely changed. He has truly seen the gracious love of his father. And so he is a son. He has all the rights that a son has, but his mindset is different now. He's come home, and he initially came home with the intention of being his father's slave. And I am sure that even though he had all the rights and the inheritance that he now has living in his father's house again, that the way that he lived, he probably acted like a servant in being humble and helping other people and and submitting himself to... The things that his father said about his house and the land and all those things. Yeah,
1: and that it is a beautiful picture. And even what we do know for sure, the desire is indication enough. He was accepted as a son with all the rights and privileges, but he had the desire to serve. And that's what was different about him from before when he didn't want to do anything right. He wanted to do his own thing. That's a complete transformation. I think it's best for us to see it also from a couple different perspectives to understand how the Bible Can still use both of those terminologies. Because remember, Peter was one of those people who was there when Christ said, you know, I'm not calling you servants, but I'm calling you friends. Yet he continued to call himself a servant without any, you know, hesitation. I think it helps if we realize that the son, the children aspect describes the father's uh, perspective of us, his attitude toward us and the love that he showers upon us. But the slave relationship describes more our attitude Towards God. God does not treat us as as slaves. No, not at all. He's not a cruel taskmaster. Um, He's loving, he's merciful, he's kind. He treats us as his children. Yet he still demands loyalty, he still demands sacrifice, but he's not the cruel taskmaster that might come to mind when we think of a slave and master relationship. It's a paradox. We're not denying that. But the Bible is really full of those kinds of paradoxes. The Christian life is full of those kinds of paradoxes. And I think it's one that we can, we can celebrate. The idea that we are accepted, adopted, and loved as children, yet we choose to serve because we are so indebted to him for the mercies that he's shown to us. And we don't do that uh, out of fear of punishment. We don't do it in any pursuit of his favor, but just genuine love for God because of all that he's done for us. That's the best way we can resolve these apparently contradicting uh, parts of our identity. I think it's a beautiful picture.
0: So that is our final answer to this question. Who do you think you are? Uh, As you are on this quest to find out your true identity, remember that your identity is in Christ. That is where it's found. That's where it's rooted. And that means so much for you. It means that you are dead to sin, separated from that, and now you're free to make a choice of your own to be a willful servant, a slave of righteousness, a slave of Christ. And that doesn't contradict anything about what we know about being sons and daughters of God. We have all the inheritance. We have all the blessings that He's promised us. And, and eventually, we'll, ha- we'll have a home with Him in heaven as an ultimate blessing, being able to be in His presence forever. But none of those things contradict. They all work in this beautiful tapestry of your identity in Christ. So hopefully that's encouraging. Hopefully that is helpful. And, uh, and now you can look at these verses and understand what God is trying to tell you about who you are. Uh, if you like the video, please subscribe, like, and comment. And we'll see you guys in our next series next week.